Today's show is brought to you in partnership with GiveSum. GiveSum is a platform that got on my radar last year. I've been watching with anticipation as they built out their solution. What they have built is brilliant. It's an online platform that allows companies who are already giving to seamlessly engage their employees in the experience by allowing them to choose the causes that matter most to them and choosing where the funds are donated. As my listeners know, I believe that corporate giving needs to be a table stakes when it comes to how we as leaders run our companies. And I also know that sometimes those donations and acts of support don't always connect to the people on our teams. GiveSum solves that problem by creating a bridge where you as a leader can now allow your team to select the causes and charities that matter most to them, and then through the platform itself, receive direct feedback on the impact of those funds. Gone is the need for the once a year town hall or a company-wide email to share the, what causes the org supported last year. GiveSum allows your team to pick the charities and get direct feedback on the impact the dollars had. One of the best parts, GiveSum does not take a percentage of the donation. 100% of the dollars donated go directly to the charity and to the people who need it the most. GiveSum works with your company and for a set fee, they administer the entire process. If you're already giving, which statistically speaking, you most likely are, visit GiveSum.com and find out how you can get your entire company involved in making a difference for the people who need it most. Hello and Alarm Collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Mr. John Newfeld. How are you doing, John? I'm doing fantastic, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Fellow podcaster, um, geospatial enthusiast here in Calgary. So we'll unpack that, we'll unpack that a little bit. Um, I even forget how we got, in, we got in, uh, introduced, but one degree of separation, that is, the, that, is the, that is the Calgary way. But you and I actually just as recently as last week got connected, had a chat and kind of opened my eyes to a few things. Just the whole field of geospatial um the amount of role the how much it's 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 infiltrated into our entire lives but we often just take it for granted so let's start there let's get the i like to get the audience into the tent as soon as possible you're president at io aerospace inc so let's jump in the elevator let's do a little spiel on just geospatial kind of your how you explain it to somebody who goes what geospatial and then a little bit about your company and what you guys do yeah absolutely so geospatial is simply knowing where things are and then using that to solve complex problems so for me, it's all about uh, mapping, positioning, understanding where things are in the world. And then, of course, why that matters, because it doesn't matter if we just know where it is. We have to know what the consequences are of that. Right. So if you're building a map, if you're trying to understand a logistics network, uh, if you're trying to understand how to better position something, um, it's important to know where that is and then why that matters. And is this a field that I'm going to assume like so many is accelerating with connectivity, access to larger data sets, higher programming power? Because again, I was a pilot, been a pilot for years. We had, I remember when GPS started finding its way in the planes and you're like, well, don't rely on it, but it's a pretty good system. It's really going to turn things around. That was 25, 30 years ago, maybe. So this is not, and all of a sudden this has been an emerging field for many, many, many years. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, if you go way back, um, GIS was actually invented by a Canadian, Roger Tomlinson in, mm -hmm. in the 1960s. And so this field has been around, I mean, you can even go back as far as like cartography, right? In the, in the 1600s or the, the zero hundreds, if you wanted, um, <laughs> it's a field that is evolving over time as we get new technologies and as we find new enabling technologies to collect information about where we are in the world and put that together. Um, GPS, <laughs> you know, came out in the eighties the and has been developing ever since. Um, and of course, you know, as a, as a U.S. Air Force tool, it, it, it was first a military tool that, that then became into use in, um, in civil society and something we rely on every single day now, right? You want to call an Uber? It's going to use GPS. Uh, you want to find your way around the stadium? It's going to be GPS. Uh, it's something now that we rely on every single day and completely take for granted. And that comment you made about knowing where things are, but then why that matters or what problems you can solve because of these phones we have in our pocket, there is, and I'm, this is not a conspiracy theory statement, but now those satellites know where we are in reference to our devices. Like, and that's a relatively new phenomenon in the scope of the 1600s or the, or the, or the zeros being your starting point. <laughs> yes, that's right. I mean, you, you talk to any conspiracy, conspiracy theorist and they'll tell you that you know, they're afraid the government's tracking them or they've planted bugs in their house or something to that effect. And, and we all carry around a device now that knows exactly where we are at all times. And um, I, I like to talk about the uh, the line of creepy awesome. I like technology <laughs> that is creepy awesome, right? Yep. Mm. Um, it's a bit creepy that it knows exactly where I am or where I want to go, but it's also kind of awesome. And I think <laughs> as long as the technology continues to stay on the awesome side and not the creepy side, you know, we tend to continue using it. Uh, and that's something we need to be aware of in our everyday lives is, 
is this technology crossing over onto the creepy side or are we still getting enough benefits out of it that we're willing to share things like our position? So interesting. And we're not going to go down conspiracy road alley here, but I've recently read a book. This is how they tell me the world ends. And I, that was, I read that book after reading one of Amy, um, Annie Jacobson's books on DARPA. Oh. And we <laughs> talked about the evolution of the iPhone being just the treasure trove for spy networks around the world. And, you know, affectionately, not all um, spy networks are in your best interest. Maybe that's a broad statement as shocking, well. Shocking. Yeah, there's lots of governments, uh, <laughs> shadow government, governments around the world that use these things for nefarious purposes to control their populace, to to manage and monitor their um, citizens in ways. And they said the iPhone was a really turning point that where all of a sudden it's like, well, we have access to everything now. And it goes down some pretty dark rabbit holes, but that's the nature, that's the themes in those books. But it really shifted when we put these devices in our pockets. But mm -hmm, we'll save that sure. episode for another day. I think we'll we'll uh, do no evil and we'll maybe focus on a little bit of good. What were some of the big turning points? You mentioned GIS, in, and I've heard that about Canadian innovation in the 60s. What are just some of the milestones uh, where we really saw these leaps forward was the 60s was that one of them and then yeah kind of from there we won't go back too too far maybe start at the 60s yeah i mean i, I wasn't around in the 60s but certainly the invention of, of a computer oriented mapping system mm -hmm. where people could then work with this technology or work with this this data digitally let them open up new ways of thinking about the information and and new ways of of layering their insights right um, mm -hmm. You know, that evolved as, as GIS evolved and our ability to capture data evolved. And today we have things like um, uh, mobile mapping vehicles, right? So you can get a van with a, a camera system and a LIDAR laser system on it. You can drive around, you can, you can map entire areas, right? And then you can have images. Um, you can extract what we call roadside or street furniture, things like signs and, and benches. Um, and you can gather a lot of information about the world uh, that that can be useful for all sorts of purposes, right? So mm -hmm. as we look at that evolution, we've gone from paper to digital. Um, and certainly things like GPS have really opened up that um, technology sphere because now it's really easy to get a position somewhere. It used to be really, it used to be really hard to know exactly where you are. Um, it used to take, you know, survey grade equipment and somebody with specialized knowledge. But these days, you know, you can pop open your phone and get a position within two, three meters in a couple of minutes. And it's only a two, three meters because it's dialed back for your civilian use. It's not because it's not more accurate than that, correct? <laughs> yeah, it, it's because of the technology in the phones. So what you're talking mm. about is actually a thing called selective availability. And okay. um, the, the people who run GPS used to have selective availability turned up, uh, which would actually change the clocks. Because the, the whole GPS thing is a, is, a, is a measurement of distance based on time, right? When did the signal leave the satellite? How long did yeah. it take to get there? And then you can calculate your position. So actually in uh, May of 2001, they turned off selective availability. And since then, civilians have had the same access to GPS that the ah, military has, okay, cool. with That's one small exception. So it really comes down to the technology in your device and the ways in which you're using that, that GPS signal. I recently read a book... Um... Look at me book dropping like there's like it's going out of style here already. How how we got to now, and they talked about the role of getting the train system to run on time, but then tied to the sun. But then everywhere had a little bit of a different time, which was mm -hmm. then the evolution to Greenwich Mean Time. Back to your point about everything is t is time to distance. But if that time isn't consistent, it doesn't work. Which is where it was an interesting book that said, "Hey, this led to this, this led to that, and it's not always the journey that you thought it might be on from the evolution or the innovation that we see in front of us today to what." actually triggered it x amount of sometimes hundreds hundreds of hundreds of years ago and they brought up that the time and distance factor and why greenwich mean time was actually needed to be created primarily to get trains to be consistent from town to town state to state country to country almost depending on the distance <laughs> yeah absolutely and actually if you, if you even look at the um uh the discovery of of the, the ability to measure longitude uh, that really was dependent on time as well. And it wasn't until they had clocks that were able to travel at sea that they were able to use longitude in, in naval navigation because their their land clocks didn't work well at sea. And then therefore it became really hard for them to determine, you know, what their longitude was and therefore their position. Latitude was easy, but longitude was tricky. Wasn't it, and didn't one, wasn't the French developed one and the English developed the other? Wasn't that, uh, someone was just took a sailing course and they were regaling me with some of the, 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 the facts that they like to, you know, share over beer. I was like, well, this was this, but when they added them all together, they were only slightly different in terms of their level of accuracy. I forget, uh, I forget the exact history behind it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
you know, embarrassingly, yeah. I don't actually, I don't actually remember either, but, um, I know it was, Sorry, I think it was my brother-in-law who just it was regaling that to me, but Hey, yeah. for audience, you know, if this gets you curious and you're now Googling to find out which, who created long versus lad and why in the history, please do. I've, if this podcast leaves people more curious with slightly little more information to me, that is always a fantastic episode. Always, always. So the sixties, we evolved all of a sudden, you know, I remember the demo I grew up. So, and also you admit you touched on something, you know, we've got, you know, global navigation, which was obviously often the area or the, the domain of the military years and years, we're talking hundreds of years ago, you mentioned about GPS being used in a military environment. Did it kind of, and this is my own armchair thought, military evolved into industry, then evolved into civilian use. Is that, is that often typically the, the journey that some of these technologies have taken and maybe has that changed in, in modern times? I think that's a very common evolution, certainly mm -hmm. since World War II. You know, we see a lot of technologies yeah. being developed first by the by the big military budgets being held up and locked up and, and classified for a period of time. And then slowly, you know, the, those things kind of get released and become available to the public. Um, and of course, now we, we see all sorts of civilian systems as well, right? So the Europeans mm -hmm. have, a, have their own uh, global navigation system called Galileo. Um, the Chinese have a system called Baidu. Russia's had a system called GLONASS for, for decades. Uh, and we're seeing the development of these constellations by other nations now from a civilian first point of view, because they recognize the value of this stuff to the economy and, and the amount that it contributes. And of course, the, the dependence on one system is problematic, right? You want to make sure you have a couple of backups <laughs> for something as important as, as global navigation. And if you look at, you know, our move into autonomous vehicles, um, if we're going to be relying on computers and positioning systems to tell us, you know, where to go and, and moreover to operate our vehicles, we're going to want to have a couple of redundancies there. <laughs> I need a backup for my backup. Being That's in right. aviation very early in my career, every gauge had a backup. And if, you know, you do the training exercises where you'd put your head down, your instructor would cover one gauge and you'd look up and go, okay, how do you make a decision now that you've lost this indicator? What do the others tell you? And it is really all a system of, of, of redundancies and backup and knowing how to interpret that data. And exactly. now we have computers, not the poor 17-year-old in the cockpit who's panicking now because he's got two gauges covered for the first time in his flying career. I remember that moment very fondly. <laughs> 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 assess, assess, scan, you know, what is it? Uh, the, the OODA loop, observe, orient, design, and act. How quickly mm -hmm. you can keep running through that, that cycle. Now we've got computers to do it for you. You made a comment about uh, this whole game doesn't work without satellites. Is that, is that correct? Just to put a broad statement out there? Mm -hmm. I, uh, yes. I mean, broadly, you're, you're not going to get a global navigation system without satellites. You know, right. if you're doing it inside a building or in a smaller area, you could, you could put up fixed beacons. But um, you're not going to mm. drive from Calgary to Edmonton and, and uh, do that on ground-based stations. You know, you're, you're going to rely on satellites for that. I really appreciate what you said. There's a company actually, Zero Key here in Calgary that I've talked to where they basically explain it's like GPS inside your warehouse to streamline every wrench, every part, how it's moving to then be able to map efficiencies, inefficiencies, bottlenecks, problems. And, you know, for a simple, an oversimplified explanation, the GPS inside your, you know, 100,000 square foot factory floor, that made a lot, it makes it easy to understand pretty quick for the average individual. Mm. Exactly. And it's a series right. of sensors built into the, into the roof, into the, into the, the top That's of the right. Yeah. Mm. And it works for them because it's a constrained space, right? It's, it's a, it's a defined building. It's one location. It's a specific application. Um, and so it works to be able to do that. But again, you're, you're not going to drive from Calgary to Edmonton and, and rely on fixed beacons along the way. So if I'm a company and I'm leading the witness on this one for sure, that wants to get into this, is there a huge barrier to entry also, if I want to have my own proprietary way of doing things, because putting a satellite up in orbit is, I, I don't know the price tag. I bet you're going to tell me is no cheap endeavor. I, I know enough to know that I'm not doing it next weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing about space, and, and I'm, I'm not an expert on space, but the thing about space is that it has become a whole lot cheaper than it ever used to be, right? Mm, so we're okay. seeing kind of a renaissance of companies now who are putting satellites into low Earth orbit because the launch cost has come down dramatically and the technology cost has come down dramatically. It used to be that you would spend, you know, 10 years building a $50 million satellite uh, and you would launch it up and you'd put it out in geostationary orbit, which is way, way out. And it would have to work for 30 years in order to pay off that investment. Hmm. Um, but these days, companies are building constellations of, you know, remote sensing satellites, positioning satellites, communication satellites. 
um, launching them to low Earth orbit and expecting them to have a, a lifespan of you know three to five years. Interesting. Um, the, the technology iteration is happening so quickly that it, it makes sense to pay the lower launch cost, have the lower lifespan, and then be able to iterate over time. Well, a thirty-year piece of tech, like I can't think of anything that I would interact with or certainly rely on right now in my life that isn't thirty years old. <laughs> that exactly. is thirty years old. That is specifically leaning on technology. <laughs> thirty years old is your. I think twenty-five years you can get a. Um, antique plate for your car which costs less and you can insure it for less because now it's considered an antique as it's an 25 antique. years yeah i think i think my, my my neighbor has one of the original tesla uh the tesla's the roadster and i think he got he, he switched over a few years ago and put an, an antique plate on it oh that'd be cool yeah, I, you yeah. Know, it's funny when i think of those uh those antique license plates i think of like cars from the 60s and 50s and stuff i don't think Completely. of like a 1992 toyota tercel John is because we're getting old, but let's not. This, <laughs> but that's not an episode about that, John. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> we're not going to. We're not going to talk about that. So let's roll into uh, your president at IO Aerospace, which, from my understanding, and you and I just met last week. This is our second quote unquote date is designed to solve some of that problem of even yeah, the costs have come down to get a satellite up in low Earth orbit for three to five years. But there's a there's still there's layers, right? If you if you go back to your grade seven, grade eight, stratosphere, mm -hmm. topos, like when you mm -hmm. go through the layers, there's mm -hmm. different areas that you can play that isn't even low space orbit yet, which if I'm boldly going to say, that's where you, where your company plays in. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So IO Aerospace is a special missions remote sensing company. Um, we operate a specially modified Learjet 35, and we work with companies who are developing space technology to help them test it uh, ahead of launch. Um, we also work with companies who want to uh, acquire big swaths of data, but don't necessarily have the capacity in-house to do that data acquisition. Okay. What would be an example without naming names, or I'm assuming there's lots of privacy and lots of closed doors behind this stuff. What would be the type of organization, or if you can give us just a kind of parameter of like who who would be looking for that kind of a data set? Yeah, for sure. So we're working with a large NGO right now who's interested in doing a whole bunch of methane monitoring. Okay. They've developed mm. a special sensor working with an Ivy League university, and they want to be able to fly it around and do methane detection in the continental United States. So they're looking for things like feedlots, pipelines, uh, refineries, industrial sites, um, landfills, anything really that emits large amounts of methane. Their ultimate goal is to put a satellite up. And before they get there, they want to do some airborne testing so they can collect an early data set. They can do some early ground validation uh, and they can begin to test out their data processing systems and get a sense of how will this data flow through our system? What can we identify out of it? And is this sensor the right thing for us to be working on? Is that a big brother? Is that a big brother play? Because it feels like all of a sudden now someone's looking down on me to regulate, enforce, monitor, call out just that's what I'm hearing when you're chatting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'd say big brother, but certainly, you know, um, uh, enforcing the existing rules and laws that are out there, right? I mean, methane mm, as, Overwatch. A, as a greenhouse <laughs> yeah. gas is 10 times more, yep. more potent than carbon dioxide. And um, a lot of companies are doing good work in terms of reducing their methane emissions. Some companies are not doing the work in reducing methane emissions. And some companies have, have um, methane emissions they're not even aware of. And so this sort of technology is designed to, you know, look for the ones that uh, companies aren't aware of and maybe put a bit of pressure on the people who uh, aren't playing ball in the way they should be. Yeah, no, and I appreciate the I know big brother is a bit of a heavy term, but a lot of these changes are being driven because of regulatory and especially here in Alberta. My wife works in the energy sector, works, uh, does uh, help support and manages the ESG reporter company. And I've met, you know, whether it's High, Highwood Emissions, uh, WestGen, like there's a lot of really interesting companies just come to mind immediately that are working mm -hmm. more in that methane space in, in, mm -hmm. in Alberta. Um, talk to me about Alberta. And you and I chatted, you made the comment of like how, how much of a leading ecosystem this is or how much of this type of work is going on here that, you know, kind of why I do the show, unless it's on your radar, it's probably not on your radar. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love Alberta. I think the, the technology scene here is growing by leaps and bounds every single day. Um, and in particular, the geomatics and the geospatial industries are growing like crazy here. So we're very fortunate to have the University of Calgary, which is a really big, big player in terms of um, geomatics research mm. and graduates from geomatics. And we have lots of companies now who are beginning to do really interesting work in terms of uh, location-based technologies, um, things like route optimization. We have, um, you know, groups like ZeroKey that you mentioned earlier who are doing indoor positioning. We have others who are doing uh, robotic warehousing, um, uh, autonomous vehicle positioning, uh, and all kinds of, you know, remote sensing and earth observation type technologies. So 
we're seeing a real boom of geospatial companies in Alberta and a lot of growth in that technology. I think the other interesting piece there is that um, people don't necessarily know the technology is being embedded into, into their workflows, right? Mm, so you maybe get a map layer, you maybe get some information about where something is, and you don't necessarily think, oh, hey, that was geomatics. Thank you very much, right? <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's fully integrated into what we're doing now, and we, we kind of take it for granted. Which is such when when technology reaches 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 its true power curve is you don't even realize it's it's positively impacting your day almost right <laughs> exactly yeah I mean we all carry these cell phones around right I, I have no idea what's in there in terms of a processor or memory or you know who makes the the you know, the wireless radio chip that lets me talk to all the satellites or the to the, the ground stations um, but I tr I take it for granted and I appreciate that it's in there I, I never even have to think about it and the same is true now with positioning and location right it's it's yeah, very easy to get that information. And to me, that's opening up entire new markets for geospatial tech. Yeah, exciting. Are you seeing a point where subject matter experts in a certain discipline or a certain area of industry versus the tech technical expert? There's always that blend of oftentimes, I know people that really understand their space, but they don't understand the tech that's going to solve their problem. And there's a push and that's not what this is, but kind of more that low code, no code of like, you can be a subject matter expert and now work alongside this amazing, powerful technology because you really understand what you're trying to solve. Are we getting to a little bit of a, of a, of a curve where that's becoming more accessible to the, all the subject matter experts out there looking to solve their problems with potentially geospatial, but don't always, they're, not, they're clearly not experts in the tech itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the story of technology evolution, right? Yeah. As technology gets more and more powerful, it becomes accessible to more and more people. And so um, more people start to use it, they begin to understand it, they begin to solve problems with it. Um, I mean, look at look at the evolution of desktop GIS, right? It used to be you had to install 78 three and a half inch or three and a quarter inch floppies just to get one program up and running and it was incredibly <laughs> difficult to work with right the, oh, the good, the good old days not, not so good <laughs> not so good <laughs> and it, it was super difficult right it, you, you couldn't find the data or it was hard to work with or it required all sorts of specialized knowledge and um nowadays you know uh esri the big dominant player has come a long way in making their software easy to use we have QGIS, the open source version that um, is also incredibly easy to use. And then we have online platforms like Felt, um, which again, are phenomenally easy to use. And it, it. It, it takes down that barrier for people to be able to come in and, and use these tools, which are very powerful. Um, I would say people you know, who are technology experts, of course, always worry like, well, are they going to do it right? Or are they going to appreciate, you know, these little <laughs> nuances or, of course. you know, are they going to mess this up? And, and by and large, the answer is it'll be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do, I do like, love the epic. Well, Jesus might not be perfect. I'm like, yeah, but it's getting us moving forward. So there's a balance there. And that's I, right. I, I that's right. It, I do. You know, unless you're doing like legal land surveying or something where every centimeter matters, um, it's, yeah. it's probably going to be fine. So give the people their tools, let them explore, let them use it. And it, it makes the, the world better for everyone. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very nice way to round that out. Okay. I'm going to ask a question that some some listeners are going to laugh and some will be like, thank you. So I, I'm going to go right down the middle. Geomatics versus geospatial. Again, a word I'm, I'm, I've used it. I've heard it thrown around. Could I define it at a cocktail party to somebody who doesn't understand? Probably not. You, decide, you define geospatial really well. Mm -hmm. Geomatics versus, or it's geomatics as well as, or it's just two different definitions of, yeah, of a similar thing. They're, they're interchangeable. You know, geomatics ah, is a okay. word invented thank, in Canada in the eighties, I believe, um, and mm. it kind of became synonymous with um, with the, with university level engineering expertise type research, uh, and it never really gained traction much beyond that. Geospatial is just easier for people to parse, right? Geo of the earth, spatial in space. Got I got it. it. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Wow. Today was a good day because I learned something new. Thanks, John. <laughs> there you go. But you mentioned land surveying. You mentioned like, what are some of the industries that you see are being, you know, I, I resist to use the word disrupted, but are being impacted positively or negatively, or just, I, I love change, mm -hmm. uh, but not sometimes when it's happening directly to me and I don't feel I'm in control of it. Are you seeing big waves of change hitting different industries? Just land surveying being one that you, you know, I know a lot of people in that business in Alberta and I know it's changing. I know the government of Alberta is even changing what they're requiring and where are some of the big waves crashing in that you see good or bad that are creating change in certain industries just from your own your own perspective yeah 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 uh i mean you mentioned so land surveying i think is something we will always continue to need something will always re require people 
the, the precision and the legal aspects of it are such that, um, you know, you, if you're getting a, a survey done of your, your house or your land, you want it to be exactly accurate and things like drones or satellites, you know, aren't at the place yet where that's possible. Okay. okay. So I, I suspect that one will always require people. Um, you know, we're seeing big evolutions in terms of resource development, right? Understanding how much timber is in a strand, um, you know, oil and gas exploration makes heavy use of earth observation data. Um, the, the, the biggest consumer of earth observation and satellite data is, uh, is intelligence and defense. Um, that's, that's the biggest one. And certainly, you know, the unfortunate and ongoing conflict in Ukraine has really highlighted the demand and the need for this sort of technology um, for this, uh, for, for intelligence gathering, right? So we're seeing a big jump again there. Uh, a number of satellite companies that have launched recently are, are providing intelligence and defense information. Um, but even agriculture, right? Even, even agriculture makes heavy use of satellite imaging and, and remote sensing and, and geospatial. Uh, you can you can understand your crops by uh, some of this satellite data, and you can get a better sense of you know how to how to uh, fertilize and and how to farm. I'm not a farming expert, obviously, but but I know it's uh, it's being used and and providing an impact there. Well, 25 years. I grew up on a farm in Southern Quebec. 25 years ago was when I think Green Star started showing up in mm -hmm. John Deere's harvesting equipment, especially mm -hmm. in their combines. Like what yield came from what part of the field and how do you identify that? And then precision. That was just the first wave of being able to like, well, this acre and that acre need different levels of fertilizer or nutrients or whatever the case exactly. may be based on yield. And that was 25 years ago. Like that, yeah. you know, which feels ancient back to 25 years gets you a, gets you an antique plate on your car. Exactly. Your tractor could have an antique plate on it now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a common, yeah. If they're well maintained they'll run for a long period of time um interesting to tie in how much conflict global conflict drives innovation and again that feels like a whole nother podcast mm -hmm. but it's interesting what you said of you know and i think canada and i had i had a military leader on on the show back when uh, the war in ukraine hit off and he said you know we've never really been forced to pay for our lack of preparation and it's a powerful term for someone who lives inside that world but when you think about these conflicts it's like whoa all of a sudden the, you can't ignore it the attention is real to, to hear you talk about some of the companies that are coming out and the innovation and the push forward yet again being driven by a global conflict so, and it's not at a global scale but in the world we live in everything is in our it's in our palms we see it every day so we just fortunately live in a place where we don't have um i'm not going to get bombed on my way to work today <laughs> yeah 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 you know i think we're very fortunate that that we have not experienced that sort of conflict here on canadian soil we, we've been very fortunate that way and you know i also i agree i think conflict and and that kind of struggle is something that does push innovation and development um it's one of those times when budgets and priorities kind of go out the window, right? You know, governments often turn and say, well, we don't have money for that. We don't have money for this. We don't have money for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in a time of conflict, you know, when it's your sovereignty and your, and your identity and your nation on the line, um, that question kind of disappears. And, and there's plenty of money for, for defense and intelligence and, um, and protection. So interesting. And the hope that these conflicts get resolved. And obviously I don't want to minimize that because there's a lot of people, whose lives are being impacted, but then post, you know, you're left with these innovations and in technology that can then work their way into the commercial and, uh, and, and the general, the general populace, which is an interesting, again, you look back at world war two, you can watch videos until your head comes off about the innovations and things that happened during that time that then led to X, Y, like it, it's actually insane to look at how mm -hmm. much impact that conflict had mm -hmm. on innovation. Once, once the dust proverbial proverbially settled. Absolutely. So I'm going to, what's it going to cost me if I'm going to put a satellite in, in, in low earth orbit <laughs> ballpark? Like just like, we're just, we're just having beers. We've got a napkin out. We're, we're coming up with a business plan. What am I looking at? What do I need to set aside for Ooh, this adventure? Uh, you're probably in the fifth, 10 to 10 to 20 million range, by the okay. time you construct it and launch it, I would say 10 to 20 million. Yeah. Just to get it up and get it in space, let alone everything that needs to that's go around the first it. One. So, yeah. Okay. That's just, yeah. that's just for the first. Just for the first one. Do I get a deal on the second one or is it, do it pretty much cost the same? Probably Sorry. not. <laughs> <laughs> We're not playing. Let's make a deal, John. Uh, let's make a deal on low earth orbit. Door Versus, number three. Yeah. Yeah. Door number three. And you can have with this a new car. Um, IO Airspace 
are we a percentage of that, a fraction of that? I'm just looking at the, I love that we've got something in Alberta that gives an alternative to mm-hmm. what is a 10 to $20 million touch just, just to get into one stage exactly. of the game. You're not even yep. really, you're not even yep. really on the field yet. You bought one shoe and a pair of shorts. You don't even have the rest of your kit <laughs> versus I'm going to work with a company like IO Aerospace to put your plane up in orbit and, or sorry, up at, at I think it's, you said 40,000 feet for like six hours. You guys can perform like, give us a little bit of the breakdown and then maybe give us a percentage or a fraction or ballpark cost range just to give uh, give our audience a sense for their business plans so that they're writing for while sure. they listen. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so um, you know, we we took a, a standard business Learjet, uh, you, you know, picture, picture a business jet. Uh, it's got, you know, six seats inside, leather, walnut bar, the whole bit. And ripped all of that out. Uh, <laughs> and threw all that in the garbage. Okay. Everyone cringe. Step one. <laughs> That's right. So we bought a jet. We ripped all the nice stuff out. And then we cut two holes in it. Um, cut two holes in the fuselage and installed camera boxes. So now you can mount a camera or other remote sensing system in there. The camera's inside in the pressurized part of the aircraft. But yeah. it's looking out through about an inch uh, thick glass window. Um, now with that aircraft, we can fly around at 40,000 feet for about six hours. And, uh, we have a tremendous ability then to cover a lot of ground with a, with a jet like that. So the cost, the cost is dramatically lower than getting something up into orbit. You know, um, you, the cost, the cost, you're looking at things like, you know, the aircraft, you've got fuel, you've got pilots, you've got a, some time and expertise. Um, so it's nowhere near the cost of, of getting to orbit. In fact, you could, you could do missions for years and, and, and not get to that cost. And in a perfect scenario, we test some theories, we move forward on our bigger project, then we bring it back to like, what a great way to stand up a minimal viable exactly. kind of data set, or, you know, I don't want to say product, but whatever you're yep. creating that yep. allows you to get further down the road, which then can garner better investment. You're now maybe less of a hypothesis and more of like, no, we have a data more set. More proven. Yeah. That's now right. we just need to scale it. It's, yeah. a, it, uh, it's, yeah, and, and it's yeah. even, you know, once that satellite is up, we, you know, we've even had companies approach us and say, look, you know, my satellite is going to fly this precise swath at this time of day you know, can you have the aircraft out there, have it fly the exact same swath at the exact same time of day, and then we can use the aircraft data to validate the satellite data. Oh, of course, from a quality control perspective. That's right. Yeah. And maybe then know what we need to tweak or what we need to fine tune based on how the data is coming in. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about customers. This feels like you people from anywhere around the world are, are, you know, what part of your customer base is going to be based in Western Canada or just Canada in general, North America versus, versus global. And mm-hmm. how competitive is this space as well? Sorry, seven questions in one. Yeah, no, I love questions. That's why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're going to get along smashingly well, John. <laughs> perfect. Our, our, uh, our customers are primarily in Canada and the United States. Um, you know, we have a handful of companies we're talking to, uh, you know, in Alberta and across Western Canada. Um, and another handful we're talking to out of the United States, whether, whether that's, uh, you know, east, south, northwest, they're, they're yeah. kind of all yeah. over the states. Okay. Um, and they each have a little bit of a different viewpoint, right? So hmm. some are putting up optical systems and want to be able to test that out. Um, some have very specialized systems that they're keen to test that, are, that they can't test any other way. Um, and some are just groups who want a large stream of remote sensing data, but aren't operational folks, right? They don't know how to operate the sensor or they don't know, or they don't want to be the ones in the field doing that work. They don't have that expertise because it, it is a very specialized field. And a lot of times, you know, uh, the, the other, the, the, the first, the first dirty truth about the geospatial industry is like people don't even know they're using it. And the second one is that, um, a lot of times people don't necessarily care how the data was was collected. They just want the data. And so we're working with a lot of groups who want a big stream of data, you know, specific conditions, real time, specific locations, what have you, but they don't want to be the ones who have to go out and capture it. And, um, you know, in those special mission contexts, you know, that's something else that we can provide for them. Interesting. So not only are you providing the plane, you're providing the technical, the technicians that operate the equipment and know how to gather XYZ data exactly. with certain parameters that can then be, you know, trusted. Exactly. Yeah. You uh, know, my, how- my co-founders and I worked previously for a company who mapped all of the continental United States and all of Europe from, um, from Britain to the Czech Republic and a, a large swath swaths of uh, oh, that's a tough word. Large swaths <laughs> of Southeast Asia. Uh, say that six times fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For for a total of like 16 million square kilometers mapped by, by aircraft. So wow. we have a lot of expertise in large areas, that. big scale mapping, um, and high volume data production, which is something that not a lot of companies have experience in. 
Very interesting. I appreciate the, is the, how, the how we got to now kind of philosophy. Talk to me about, you made the comment about, we don't care where the data comes from. We just need a big swath of data. I have had a series of individuals on talking about AI and ML, and we can't not get to the conversation mm-hmm. of like, what about the data? Where the data come from? What biases are in there? What quality is the data? Like data isn't, data is not data isn't data. How much is that a factor in your world as well? Uh, it's so easy to think when you're talking about what biases are in this chat GPT platform that we mm-hmm. all use now on a daily basis, or some of us do, uh, that's providing these biases that are baked in. But we're talking about something benign, like like topography or you know that or, or, or a swath of forest. That, that can't be corrupted data. Talk to me a little bit about some of those challenges. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so, so first of all, I did say, you know, people don't care where the data comes from, but, but they do care, you know, how it was collected and what the specifics are yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, and and I, I have a good friend who says, you know, all, all data is an opinion. Because I love, I love somebody that. Co- somebody collected it for some purpose, <laughs> for some intent, for some use, with some viewpoint. Um, and and I think all data does have an opinion. So it depends on, you know, mm, what are you I looking love, for? Where are you that. looking? When are you looking? You know, what's your target? What what um, what optical bands are you using? And it, it, it might be as simple as I just went and took a picture, um, you know, but what does that picture show? And then perhaps how are you using that picture down the line? Right. Okay. So the data, the data itself gets a bit of an opinion depending on how you collected it. And then definitely how you use it is really where the biases get baked in. Mm, I get it. I love it. All data is an opinion. I will. I'm going to be quoting you on the regular for that one, probably over the next few podcasts, John. Just Excellent. You know. I, everything I learn, I learned from the person I spoke to you last. It's, fantastic. it's such a great, you, as a podcaster, <laughs> you know how fun that is. You're like, That's oh, right. every, every oh, wow, every there's a whole new thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Yes. I, I, ideally. And I didn't, yeah, I want to make sure we call it out the, no, the Nowhere podcast. Tell us a little bit about your podcast, or we're kind of spinning around a little bit, but I don't want to not draw attention. A fellow for podcaster, sure, yeah. I want to throw, send some love your way on that yeah, one. I appreciate it. So, so Nowhere is a podcast, you know, shockingly, about geospatial <laughs> right on if you would have come out of left field with something different i would have been like i wasn't expecting that john <laughs> that's right yeah um it, so it's all about geospatial but there, there's a lot of like you know what i call lovingly call map nerd uh podcasts out there and it, nice. this one's not a map nerd podcast so this okay. is about the unintended uses of geospatial or the unexpected uses of geospatial and the ways they unexpectedly affect our lives so so how is geospatial that. technology running in the background of our lives and um and how does that affect what we do so i had a really great interview with alberta-based company um rain barrel and okay. they do location-based advertising so so they make uh what they call audience graphs groups of people to whom pu- uh, advertisers want to push ads and they use your location to inform which ads to push you um, and in the podcast, we talked about how, you know, it, it kind of sounds creepy when you put it that way, but they're not pinging your phone every, you know, four seconds. Yeah. Um, they, they can't trace your route through the day and it's entirely anonymized, but they do use location to know, you know, what sort of ads to push you. Um, and of course, you know, you, there's always that myth of like, oh, well, my, my phone's listening to me. It, it heard what I was talking about. And that's why I'm getting the ad for this. Probably not. You know, you're getting an ad for pet food because you were in a pet food store. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you like 17 uh, posts on Instagram about cats eating pet Exactly. Food, so. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, heard, I heard someone say like, listen, you're giving, you're giving everyone enough of data. They don't have to listen to your words. <laughs> That's they right. already, you're, you're already filling them with all they need That's to plan right. it out. And, yeah. you know, again, someone who's worked in marketing advertising for years, and yes, it sounds creepy, but the ultimate panacea is giving me the ad I want when I want it, because then it's not annoying anymore. Mm-hmm. If I'm, you know, it's why fast food locations don't advertise at one thirty, but they advertise at 11.15 because they know you're thinking about lunch. And, like, right. and I probably, and if I'm in the mood for buying a new snowboard, I love snowboard ads, but they probably don't send them to me in August or July. And I do, you know, appreciate the creepy factor. And at the same time, it's only creepy when it crosses that line. Mm-hmm. The second it's serving you, oh, Mm-hmm. It's the best. It's the best, most handy thing you've ever encountered. It's creepy, real. Awesome. We're a finicky right? bunch. Yeah, it's a creepy, creepy awesome line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very cool. And that's yeah. located. So, talk to me about like industry in Alberta. Um, so, obviously, the nowhere you're talking to individuals. Have, do we have a really solid geospatial community here in Alberta? That probably, if you don't like you said, it's probably operating right below the surface. You just don't know it's all around you. <laughs> yes, yes, we absolutely do. Yes. Cool. I so, love that. Co- so coming out of the university, you know, there's been a number of technology companies who have started and spun off. Um, you know, there's one called Trusted Positioning, uh, which was started by a university professor in the geomatics department and a number of grad students. Um, they built that up. They ended up selling it off or something to the tune of $25 million US. 
Um, nice. And that company well, is still well, well done, team. Well done. Right. <laughs> right. That company is still operating here in Calgary, uh, still doing great work. You know, so we're seeing all kinds of tech like that. I, I, I think a lot of people don't even know that Hexagon has a giant global campus here in Calgary. Hexagon bought Novatel. Novatel, of course, is a, a large GPS giant. Um, they make, you know, uh, GPS receivers and antennas. Um, not the stuff you'd find in a phone, but the really high-end, high-grade technology. Um, and they're a, a global giant in the in the world of geomatics. And a, and a lot of people in Calgary don't even know that they're there. I got bumped into them probably a year ago around the podcast, and we just weren't able to connect or kind of make it happen. But that's the first time it kind of hit me. I started doing some Google. I'm like, what is, like, how did I not even know? But again, that's the beauty yeah. of Massive, kind of what's going around. on around. Yeah, yeah. they're a huge, huge organization. Yeah. For you building a company here, any challenges around, well, you talked about the university playing such a key role, and that's where the fodder for new grads and people with this education and this passion How's hiring, recruiting, talent acquisition? What's that been like here in Western Canada for you? Or do you have te- do you have people kind of located everywhere? So we're a we're a virtual company. You know, we're, we are here in Calgary. I, I live here in Calgary. Um, our team is uh, largely in Calgary. Okay, we do have cool. some folks who are in um, in Ontario. We have some folks in Colorado, um, but our team is you know distributed, and we look for the best candidates, the best possible people to do that work. I love. We that, do have yeah. a bit of a bias towards Calgary, right? I, I want to be able to <laughs> go for lunch with my team as much as possible. Um, but you know, we look for people who are who are anywhere who can do that work, and we've had really good success. So building a team here in Calgary has been um, has been straightforward. We've been able to get the talent that we need. We've been able to grow awesome. in the way that we need to. And um, I, I continue to be blown away by the caliber of people in Calgary in the tech sector. I love it. Yeah. I'm, I'm very pro, very biased. Calgary, Western Canada, Alberta, in that, in that, in that order, for sure. Yeah. Um, any tips or, you know, again, just as a, as a business leader, any tips around keeping a team working the way you need them to work to be effective, whatever that means with a, with a remote team, with a work from anywhere mm-hmm. kind of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the, the very first thing is, you know, think about your culture. What is the culture of your company going to be and how are you going to enact that culture? Uh, culture isn't simply some words we put up on a plaque or some <laughs> stuff we scribble down in a word document. You know, culture is what you do. And if you say your culture is one thing, but you do another you know, then, then you've got a bit of a mismatch there. So yeah. the first thing is understand what kind of culture you want to create and then go about creating it. So <laughs> we spend time on teams. We have lots of video meetings. Um, you know, we tend to do cameras on as much as possible or much as reasonable so we can see each other, get that, that body language. And then we meet up at least, at least twice a year. Uh, we try nice. to do one winter and one summer meetup so that we get that actual in-person experience and have time for, for team bonding. Um, I find video calls are great for transactional work. You know, hey, did you get this? I need that. How are you coming on this? But it's not so good for just a sitting around chatting. You know, you, you don't yeah. feel inclined to sit and chat with someone on a video call. And so we use in-person meetings for that. But it starts with a, a dedicated focus on culture and building it out from there. John, I'm not gonna lie to you. This doesn't feel transactional. I feel like we're chatting. So I don't know. I might argue I with you on that. <laughs> it's the exception there. It's the exception. <laughs> I couldn't resist. You laid that one out for me. I can't resist a smart ass comment. When I, I appreciate your comments on that. And yeah, we've gone through very similar. Uh, and I have a lot of individuals that I know, sometimes older, and I'm not going to pick age as the thing, but I will zero out a few. If you're listening, you know who you are. Uh, in my executive group, and they want to argue like tooth and nail about you can't have a culture that isn't all in the same office and you can't be successful that way. And like, I beg to differ mm-hmm. and to your point you need to be still if you can't if you're not deliberate about it then you'll be right then he'll be then they'll be right <laughs> if exactly. you're very deliberate about it and intentional with the way you use your technology the way you still create shared moments of getting together i, I just think you know and i'll be honest culture by accident just because you're all in the room i don't think that really works either <laughs> you no, gotta be really deliberate about it i think that's i think you myth. have to be deliberate about it. and i think the culture in person works because someone somewhere is paying attention to what happens and what the culture is right yeah to someone share. bought that birthday cake someone you know set up that event um it, it didn't just show up at the door magically and people came down to, to share it so Someone, someone somewhere was paying attention. Yeah, I appreciate it. Inten- inten- intention. It goes, attention and intention. It's funny that they, those go strangely together. Um, and hey, I, we didn't prep this ahead of time, but funding, uh, did you guys bootstrap this? Did you be, were you able to get some investors in? I'm, I'm always curious. I, one of my shows is called Follow the Money, where I really talk about that space between the investor and mm-hmm. the investee and understanding where money's flowing and where investors are typically feeling comfortable or feeling optimistic. Mm-hmm. What's that journey been a little bit like or whatever amount that you feel comfortable sharing? Yes. So, so we're <clears throat> maybe a bit of an anomaly. We're entirely bootstrapped. Okay. Um, 
we're yeah. entirely a bootstrapped organization. We're we're building this off the revenues that we that we generate as a result of the work that we do, and we're very fortunate to have good solid clients uh, who are willing to work with us on that journey. You know, I um, I've done some work, you know, kind of in and around the nonprofit and the the venture funding space. And I'm certainly not an expert on venture funding, but but one of the things to look into there is, you know, is 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 your business a venture backed business? And um, we look at this sort of thing that we're creating and, and what we're looking to build is long term stable services that are reliable for the companies we're working with. And, and that kind of business isn't a hockey stick trajectory. Doesn't right? have the it's sex appeal that climb. you might need. Yeah. Yeah. But with current affairs of the last couple of weeks, um, with some of the um, changes in maybe that funding, maybe there's going to be some investors looking for some good stable assets out there. But that's all. Again, we're going Possibly. down another, another rabbit hole. <laughs> Possibly. You yeah. know, as, as, as we watch this non-banking crisis crisis stumble its way through, I think, I don't know if I'm going to predict whatever this recession looks like, this recession that we can't stop, seem to be addicted to talking about. It's a series of small train wrecks. I hope we avoid the big one, but that's a, my own commentary on that. <laughs> I hope we do too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't need the left hook. You know, when did you know you're in trouble? Oh, when I woke up on the mat. That's when I knew. <laughs> I, that's when I knew. I, got, I had an interview like a long time MMA. Watch it, and Joe Rogan asked, "When did you know you're in trouble?" So and so when I woke up. It's like yeah. best answer ever to that question. <laughs> I was in the fight, and then I then I was not. So I don't think I we need. Not. I don't it think we need clear. any of those. Yeah, we don't need yeah. any of those left yeah. hooks in economy. Hindsight. Um, what gets you the most excited? Obviously, you guys are on the path. You've got the Learjet. It, it's coming together. What gets you the most excited uh, You know, for your own business, but also just where geospatial is going? Because mm -hmm. like you said, it's been progressing for hundreds of years. And then we get these big leapfrog moments where technology comes in and goes, boom, game changer, accessible, boom, let's jump forward. What exactly. gets you uh, what, what, what gets you nerded out a little bit? <laughs> yeah. So so in, in my own business, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about being able to bring this offering to the market, being able to provide this service that, that as far as I can tell no one else globally is, is offering right now. Um, oh, okay, that's interesting. Which, which cool. isn't to say we don't have any competitors, right? I always hate it yeah. when, people, when you, you ask someone, well, who are your competitors? And I go, oh, nobody. No one's doing what they we're doing. They don't understand their market when they answer that way. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yeah. Um, but but this sort of technology and this sort of platform and this sort of access, you know, is unique in the world. And I'm excited to grow a business on that basis, offering, you know, uh, special missions technology and special missions capability to people who want to test and develop this sort of hardware. Um, I'm excited to work with really smart people who are building out next generation technology. You know, the conversations I've had with people about their technology they're building, it, it's absolutely next level stuff. And it's, uh, it's really exciting to be a part of that journey, recognizing I'm not the one doing that technology, but it's fun to be able to be there and mm. support them and work with companies as they're taking some of those really big risks to build it out. So... There's it's a little a bit of, cool of a, not to overuse an old term, but a little bit of a picks and shovel play. Like you're, you're, you're providing that infrastructure or that the key ingredients for these mm -hmm. companies to go out and explore and, and, and do new things. That's an interesting business model unto itself, you know, where you're, every, you're everybody's partner, not, not their competitor in that, in that context. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're not, we're not picking sides. You know, I'm not picking one company over another. We're happy to work with everybody. And uh, I think, I think the more technology we can develop, you know, the, the better off the world can be that way. Oh, very cool. And in you terms know, you, of the, you asked you about, um, yeah, the about, sector itself, like what's, what, yeah, what do you see in the itself. next five to 10 years? that's just like on the verge of blowing our minds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think there's some really, really cool stuff coming. You know, uh, we, we tend to see, or we continue to see miniaturization of technology, right? Mm. So, you know, it used to be that to, to get a laser scan of something, you needed a giant tripod mounted, heavy swinging laser device. Um, and nowadays the iPhone pro has it built in. So you, there's a laser scanner in your iPhone now. Um, we're seeing some really cool stuff with computer vision and, and um, uh, uh, terrestrial mapping in terms of like cell phone camera images and, and what's possible there. Um, we continue to see improvements in indoor mapping and indoor navigation, right? You know, so that it's easier to get around the mall or the stadium or the hospital. Um, and then I think we're also seeing a really cool renaissance in, uh, in radar, in radar from space. Um, mm, there's a handful of companies now that are that. doing radar mapping from space. And, um, we haven't seen a big boom in radar in a, in a very long time. You know, I, I, I worked in this industry quite a while ago and it seemed to be extremely niche. Um, but these days there's, there's a handful of companies now who are putting radar satellites up. And of course, the cool thing about radar is that it doesn't care about clouds. It doesn't care about darkness. It can see right through all of that and, and still provide high accuracy images and, and terrain. So we're seeing lots of growth there. Um, I think the other thing too is, you know, as, as 
computational power increases, our ability to process data increases, and therefore our demand for data increases. And so it's one of these positive feedback loops, right? So the more we can do with it, the more we want it, which leads to doing more with it, which leads to wanting more of it. I'm hungry because I eat and I eat because I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, like more and more, give me more. Like you're always feeding the machine. So so what I'm the oversimplification is that like exciting times ahead, lots of innovation, lots of direct impacts on our businesses, on our on our lives. And again, these devices we have in our hands and the power that's coming there and what is even capable, that's scary and exciting all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And I think that the power lies in doing the right things with that information, mm -hmm. harnessing it for yeah. the good purposes. Um, and, you know, here in, in Canada, in Alberta, in Calgary, you know, we, we have the technology to be able to do that. And um, I think we're fortunate to live in a place where the expectation is positive outcomes from technology. I love it. I think we'll, we, might, we might have to do, I might have to do a series with some guests where we just talk about bad actors, where we just go down the dark conspiracy <laughs> road. That that's not really the theme of this podcast. Yeah. It's all about, let's get something on your radar. <laughs> Sorry, your radar, your LIDAR, or your, or, 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 or your GPS that your hasn't system, been there. Yeah. Your mapping system, thank you, that hasn't been there before. Get curious, lean in. And I love how much you've really emphasized what's going on right here in, in Alberta, right here in Calgary. And in one of these spaces that I would say for a lot of people, they're very aware of it. But for the rest of us, it's there's mm -hmm. a curtain across and you just just don't see it. And whether it's a career path or an investment opportunity or maybe just a way to solve a, a, an interesting problem that you have in your business, that gets me really excited about this kind of information. For sure. And, you know, I'll, I'll give a shout out too. We, we also run a conference in Banff every year called North 51. Uh, n51.ca and it's a geospatial leadership and geospatial ideas conference nice uh, it's focused around you know the next big things the tech the companies who are pushing interesting technology um, but also the ways in which that will affect our businesses and the ways it will affect our world going forward so again it's not a, a map nerd kind of conversation <laughs> it's a it's about uh, technology change strategy implications and it's a look forward in the next three to five years you know, where is the industry going? So um, I, I'd strongly recommend anyone interested to, to check out that conference as well. That's, and, when, and sorry, when, does, when is that held? So we run it in May every year. In, okay. uh, in this year, it's May 10th to 12th, uh, hosted nice. at the Rim Rock Hotel. Oh, my, one of my favorite locations as well. Yeah, well, the second and, nice hey, I'll just, I'll, we'll talk yeah. about this after, but yeah, send us that information. We'll share that with our audience. That's a, I, I love that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And, and go out and rub shoulders and, 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 and get to understand it. And how do people... Uh, where, where is your? I'm assuming on the usual the usual suspects, but where can people find your podcast? Yeah, you can find the Nowhere podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, all over the place, nice. um, and it's uh, at nowherepodcast.com. Fantastic! And last but not least, um, IO Aerospace. I've got your guys' website pulled up. IO Aerospace.com. Got some cool pictures on here. So, mm -hmm. Come on, you had me at Lear. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone loves the I'm an airplane chat. nerd for sure. Come on. Yeah. Give me a private chat. You got me. You got my you got my attention. And uh, John, what's your preferred again, there's a million ways to get a hold of everybody, but what's your preference? Is it LinkedIn? Is it email? What what do you what do you, what's your what's your favorite coordinates? <laughs> LinkedIn is great. Uh email works for me too. Jay Newfeld at io-aerospace.com. And you can find me on Twitter as well. Um John J O N underscore Newfeld. Um, I, think, actually, I don't know my own Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> There's a point where I'm like, what is my phone number? I don't know. I don't call myself. Exactly. That often. Yeah. John, John underscore Newfeld. There you go. Just double checked. Got yeah. it. <laughs> yes. And you're not, there's not only one John Newfeld out there. So I, I so you be um, filtered properly. <laughs> that's right. If you find a Mennonite rock singer, that's not me. That's not you. If, I kind of like that though. You're a bit of a rock star, John, your own way. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you that one in a different, in a different context. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate it. John, really, really enjoyed your chat. You opened, you gave me lots of things to think about, which I selfishly, this is why I do this. I get to meet really cool people and dive into the worlds that they live in and they're passionate about and your passion, your knowledge and your drive in this space is really clear. And thanks for sharing that with our audience today. I really, really appreciate it. My pleasure, Tyler. Thanks for having me. 